This is the stage when the rules and the principles and the institutions and the organizations for governing AI are being set in place and possibly even set in stone. Welcome to Designing the Robot Revolution, a podcast that explores the intersection of artificial intelligence and design. As AI and automation continue to revolutionize all aspects of our daily lives, it's essential to ensure that they are developed and deployed responsibly. We believe that the governance of AI and automation must prioritize human needs above all else. We see design as key to achieving this goal. One way to promote responsible implementation of AI is by introducing design into policymaking. Policy design is the process of developing policies that are effective, efficient and equitable. Design can ensure that regulations are reflective of citizens' values and not just those of tech companies or other stakeholders. However, for designers to contribute effectively to the development of these policies, they must understand the potential governance models that can be applied to AI regulation. That's why we invited Professor of Political Science Jonas Talberg to talk to us. Jonas coordinates the research group on global and regional governance at Stockholm University. Global governance are all the, the institutions and organizations and rules that exist at both regional and global levels as a way of trying to regulate something. So if you think about trade, for instance, we have a global trade regime or the World Trade Organization is the main, the main institution that is developing trade rules and enforcing trade rules. And there's this growing recognition that when it comes to artificial intelligence, there is a need for, for institutions, organizations, rules, frameworks, principles for how AI can be developed and used. And that is what we mean by global governance. His current project focuses on international initiatives in three areas, weapon systems, law enforcement, and labor market conditions. In each of these areas, competing interests seek to shape regulatory responses to the political and ethical dilemmas generated by the increasing use of AI. I'm directing a project on the global governance of artificial intelligence, which is funded by the WASP-HS program of the Wallenberg Foundation. And it's an interdisciplinary project that brings together a variety of different people. We have political philosophers on board, we have international lawyers, and we have empirically oriented political scientists like myself. And we're cutting into this issue of the emerging global governance of artificial intelligence. The global governance of AI is emergent. So we conventionally use adjectives like emergent or nascent as a way of describing this, because that is exactly the stage at which you're at, we're at, which also means that it's, very, it's a very formative stage. This is the stage when the rules and the principles and the institutions and the organizations for governing AI are being set in place and possibly even set in stone which means that it's, it's, it's very politically important and also important for researchers to contribute whatever insights they can into this process. How would you score the international community in terms of how they're addressing this so far? Are we flying colors 10 out of 10 or are we lower down in the class? 
Well, so what we're seeing is the emergence of a patchwork of, of initiatives, essentially, and varying kinds of initiatives. We do not as yet have anything that is resembling a, a, a main global organization that is developing binding AI rules or anything like it. Rather, we're seeing the main players, the, the EU, the US and China, approaching this issue from slightly different perspectives, not to say very different to some extent perspectives. And they all have you know, certain ethical concerns in mind. They have economic interests in mind for sure. And they have, have power concerns that are guiding their actions. So it's everything but simple to get to anything like a joint framework globally. Somewhat more easy when respe with respect to national or regional initiatives. So, if I was a politician in a in a country or a, an international body, and I sat down with you and I said, "Wow, you know, I don't really know much about this at all. Like, but there's probably some emerging options that are coming. What what are some of the design options that are open to or governments as part of an international collaboration or working nationally? Well, so when it comes to governance beyond the nation state, you know, one issue first is, do I want to primarily cooperate with other states in my region or do I want to go for some kind of global initiative? So if I go for a regional one, it's, it's, there's a greater likelihood that we will have similar viewpoints. It'll be easier to come to an agreement, oftentimes because these, these other countries in the same region might have the same political system. There might also be democracies. And if we think about AI, it's it certainly both in its use and development touches on issues with a bearing on democratic values and human rights, which means that it's easier for democracies to cooperate together than across the democracy authoritarian divide, if you want, or democracy dictatorship divide. But on the other hand, the development and use of AI is a truly kind of trans-regional or global issue in the sense that we are already seeing competition between companies in different world regions, right? And we have different countries who want to move ahead in, in this particular issue, which means that ultimately, if we want to avoid some kind of negative race to the bottom or competitive race between the EU, the US and China, we might need something more common. So there's a trade-off there between going for the more low-hanging uh, regional fruit, if you want, or going for the more difficult global market. Here, my sense is that all the major players are, in fact, trying to do both. But then there are certain other options which are much more specific that comes to how one ought to regulate AI. How optimistic are you that we can get some kind of global agreement around standards for AI? Is that mission impossible? Or what's your temperature test on that? I would say that that depends on what type of agreement that you want. And that kind of takes us into these dimensions for how one could regulate AI. If we're interested in binding rules, you know, rules that actually stipulate what you can and cannot do when you develop and use AI, and that are backed up with some kind of enforcement power. So if someone were to violate these rules, you could actually take them to court. Now, that I think is very far off because that is such a demanding commitment by states or the major players. But if we're talking about some kind of non-binding, softer joint principles or recommendations, we already have some of these in the context of, of UNESCO, the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, for instance. 
And they are easier to agree on, but that is also because no one can be held responsible for not abiding by them. So in that sense, they're voluntary, right? They are an, a show of good intention rather than a tough commitment. So it really depends on what kind of end goal you have in mind here. You were saying that there are some emerging principles. Could you share some of those? Well, I mean, there are a number of different bodies that have, in just the very recent years, I mean, we're talking about the past two years, developed some important sets of rules and principles. And I've already mentioned UNESCO with its recommendations on the ethics of AI. We have the Council of Europe within the European setting, which is developing joint rules as well. But then, you know, clearly as cooperation among democracies. And then we have what I would call the most far-reaching regulatory initiative at the moment, which is the AI Act of the European Union, where the Commission tabled a proposal in, in 2021. And that proposal for regulation has subsequently been negotiated between the member states and among the EU institutions. And it's currently with the European Parliament. And it will end up either later this spring or possibly in the fall with an agreement between council, that is the member states in the EU, and the parliament, the directly elected parliamentarians. And when they agree, we will have an EU AI Act. And that act will be horizontal. It will cover all policy areas except military matters. And it will be binding because it is a regulation, which means that it's binding on the parties. So that will be very far-reaching in terms of a set of joint principles on the development and use of AI, but only within Europe, Could you give just a couple of examples of the type of things that might be regulated by the AI Act? You mentioned it doesn't cover weapons, for example, but does it influence labour? What other areas might it influence? So the Act as such does not specify what areas are influenced, but effectively it pertains to all other areas of AI development and use. And it sets down these general principles. They spend a lot of effort on defining AI, defining what is risk in the context of AI. And the devil is in the details here, the linguistic details oftentimes, but linguistic details with technical implications. And those principles are then intended to apply broadly. And that's one of the really interesting but tricky things about regulating AI, because as you guys know, this is an extremely fast-moving field uh, technologically, right? Which means that regulation will always be one or even several steps behind. So the politicians and the bureaucrats are playing catch up here. And they realize that they will continue to play catch up, which means that they will need to design rules, principles that are general, right? That that apply to situations that they have not even imagined yet. And that's why these rules are so general in their character. If they were to specify very clearly that this is what happens, this is what we need to regulate when it comes to production and services with regard to labor, for instance, or this is what we need to regulate in in, in some other area, then the rules would very quickly be outdated. But by having these more kind of far-sighted, general, and somewhat more fluffy rules means that they can somehow stay relevant for longer. This is a difficult challenge. How do you try and balance that, giving the freedom for innovation versus the regulation to protect? So if I were to boil down the political conflicts that we're seeing 
between member states, but also between various kinds of non-state actors, where you can think of business on the one hand and civil society research institutes and so on on the other hand. The core dimension is that of innovation versus protection, essentially. And different actors land differently in terms of their priorities with respect to this dimension, right? If we look at the non-state actors in Europe, we have some very fresh empirical data here from a paper that co-authored with, with two of my colleagues, where we looked at the, the preferences of businesses and other non-businesses, basically civil society, with respect to how this European AI Act ought to be developed, how they ought to strike the balance between innovation and protection. And unsurprisingly, we find that businesses are more in favor of innovation, whereas civil society are more anxious to ensure protection. So that's just an example of that. But Mm. we also see that, I would say, blown up on a global scale in the sense that my understanding is that the U.S. is, relatively speaking, putting more emphasis on innovation and less on protection compared to, to the European Union, for instance. In your research, it mentions three specific areas. One is labor market conditions, another is law enforcement, and the third is weapon systems. Could you just fly over what those areas are and why they have been picked and what hot topics are within those areas? The development and use of AI impacts many different fields. And effectively in our project, when we're trying to map and explain the governance of AI that is emerging, we are also looking at governance in a variety of different fields and governance that tries to cross, cut across fields, such as the EU's AI Act. But we've also decided to, to have a couple of focal areas, areas where these issues seem to come to the fore to a greater extent than in other domains. And one of these has to do with the military warfare, where the central issue is the development and use of autonomous weapons. So military robots that can identify and engage targets. Lethal autonomous weapon systems is the term for short here. And the principal forum where you would expect this to be developed is the convention on certain uh, conventional weapons. And here, you know, there are negotiations underway in a group of government experts, but they've so far only been able to arrive at some non-committal type of principles and recommendations. And in fact, what we're seeing is that these talks are entering deadlock. So it is very difficult to move ahead. And here, the preliminary explanation would be that the key players come to this issue of lethal autonomous weapons systems with very different interests in mind. And it's also a very sensitive issue, just how one could develop and could use AI for autonomous weapon systems with real-world security implications and the risk of spirals and so on. Then we have the issue of law enforcement, which is of a particular interest, especially to our legal researchers. And here the key issues pertain to privacy and to due process and to how AI applications may be used in the area of law enforcement with implications for privacy and due process. So very, you know, hardcore ethical issues that are central in this particular area. And one institution that has started to discuss these issues is the International Telecommunications Union, but they are also on the table in other bodies that we've already talked about, such as the EU and and, and the UN. And then finally, we have labor market conditions. And 
Here, it's well known that AI applications, they spur shifts toward automation that may require the development of international norms and principles. We have automation production that may require measures to, to compensate workers. We're, we're anticipating that there will be a, you know, a productivity increase that will possibly could lead to, to more people becoming unemployed or having to transition into new jobs, right? And then we have the services market as well associated with the platform economy, which also challenges traditional structures in the labor market. So these issues are not, to a very large extent, subject to international regulation at this point. These are mainly issues that are being dealt with nationally and, for instance, in, in the Swedish context. But there are ongoing talks at the International Labor Organization, which would be the principal forum internationally for these kinds of issues. Wow. I mean, just those three focus areas show how wide ranging the impact of all of this is. And you've chosen just those three, obviously very big and significant ones, but it just shows how wide ranging this is. Why isn't there more attention on this? Why this seems so critical when you take any of those three around labor, weapons and law and privacy? Those are things that are really important for citizens. Why isn't there more talk about this amongst mainstream politicians, do you think? That is a very tricky issue. I think there are you know, several answers to that question. I mean, the first one is whether, whether you're correct to say that people are not talking about it. I mean, I can't go to a dinner these days without, here, without ending up in conversations about ChatGPT and, and new, new AI. So people are truly fascinated by AI applications. The, you know, a link to that, they're also increasingly realizing that somehow, don't we need to regulate this? People are seeing this in their own private, in their own different domains. So, you know, I'm, I'm a university teacher or professor, right? So we're very concerned about the fact that how can we do take-home exams when students can use ChatGPT to come up with good answers, for instance. And for other people, I imagine it's the same thing, but in their respective areas, right? Now, my interpretation of politics is that, you know, are increasingly aware, but they're being held back by a variety of issues. And, and one is that AI is not a conventional policy area. It's much easier to say that if you're a politician or if you're in government, you're working with a particular ministry, you're working with a particular committee in the parliament. It's very clear that then I'm working on social issues or I'm working on foreign policy or whatever it might be. Now, AI, it cuts across these conventional ways of organizing government, if you want, which means because it touches on so many different areas. And this is also what then is, is the reason for why they're developing the way uh, they do in, in the European setting. The other aspect is that I think there's this recognition that you know, for politicians nationally, it's a lot about being competitive or, or making sure that we stimulate innovation, but they recognize that the ethical dimensions, the ethical issues, the level playing field that needs to be ensured for companies, all of those issues have to happen beyond the nation state. So it might not be their responsibility primarily if they are national politicians, it's rather the responsibility of the European Union or some other, some other global forum. And then, of course, we have these other issues that might hold people back, a feeling that these this might involve technological issues that they do not fully understand, and it's difficult to then you know, make bold pronouncements in its regulation. And 
that the fact that they might need to regulate something that is moving so fast that they cannot be very specific and they need to develop these general principles and so on. So I think there are you know, a variety of different reasons for why we're, we're seeing the types of conversations or the lack of conversations that we're seeing. Can you identify any lessons from history where we've had a similar change and we've actually risen to the challenge and we can learn from successes or there's been failures and we can learn what not to do? Well, so one technological change that is often mentioned when discussing how the global governance of AI could be developed is that of nuclear weapons and how nuclear weapons, when they emerged, posed risks in terms of, and now I'm talking about you know, the development of the governance here, but they posed risks and tremendous risks, of course, that obviously required some type of regulation, some type of joint principles for their use, but it took a while before, before the great powers got there. And then they developed a set of treaties for dealing with these issues over time, which have helped us to stabilize our international security environment, if you want. And we haven't seen a use of nuclear weapons since the event of the Second World War. Now, so that might be you know, a interesting example, but what it suggests is that you know, major technological innovations that could have very negative externalities, very negative consequences, if left unchecked, if giving rise to races between actors in the ambition of coming first and thereby being more lax on security, can actually be regulated globally. But it takes time. Now, on the more positive side, there are those who say that, well, you know, this is AI, it's technological revolution, is similar to, to other types of technological revolutions that we've seen in the past. So people are mentioning the emergence of a steam engines or electricity as being these general technological revolutions. And in that perspective, AI is not necessarily so unique. It, it is just one more very important technological revolution. And we can draw some lessons from the governance of these earlier ones, and we can try to develop AI technology to reap the benefits while trying to mitigate the, the potentially negative consequences. Something I just wanted to pick up on because we mentioned it at the beginning was WASP, the Wallenberg Foundation. Just for people maybe outside of Sweden who don't know about that organization, could you describe that organization a bit, please? So the, the Wallenberg Foundation has decided to fund research that is focused specifically in AI. So they have one major initiative that is focused more on, shall we say, the technical side, to simplify, which is called WASP. And then we have one initiative that is focused specifically on the humanities and social sciences, which is called WASP-HS. And this, the second one is the initiative that within which our project features. Projects within both of these larger research programs are interdisciplinary or in orientation, recognizing that, that knowledge around AI needs to be interdisciplinary. And it's a, it is a major, very important research program for trying to make sure that Swedish research is at the forefront internationally, both on the technological and more societally oriented side of things when it comes to artificial intelligence. If someone was wanting to read up and learn a bit more about this as a topic, are there any websites or books you'd recommend that they go and read? So research on the global or regional governance of artificial intelligence has not 
yet reached the fruition where we could say that there are classic books or major books that we certainly hope to be able to put one of those books on the table in a couple of years' time. So what we're seeing is an emergence of different articles and papers on this topic. It's a pretty fast-growing research area. And my recommendation would rather be, I would invite listeners to send me an email and, and give me their interests, and I, I'll see if I can direct them towards certain papers that might, might satisfy their curiosity. Great. Could you just tell people, if they do want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to find you? So I have a professor at Stockholm University at the Department of Political Science. And if you do a Google search on my name, Jonas Tannebelli, you're bound to find my homepage and also my email address. So I really appreciate your time. Uh, Thank you very much for coming on and talking to us. Happy to hear that. It was fun.